Thank you for joining us today for the Oakwood Baptist Church podcast. This episode was recorded at the Home Builder Sunday School class, which Pastor Jones teaches at Oakwood. The lessons are taken from the book, The Ministry of Marriage by Jim Benny. So Colossians chapter 2 is the verse that we've been using. I'll read it to you again and just kind of uh, make some preliminary thoughts and we'll jump right in the lesson today. It says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Again, I, I want to emphasize that thought, the rudiments of the world, the thinking of the world, the philosophy of the world, uh, the uh, mentality of the world. Uh, we understand when we use the word world in the Bible, there are three basic ways the, word uses, the, the, the Bible uses that word, world. Um, you would have God's creative world, right? Um, you say that uh, this is my father's world. We sing that sometimes. What are we talking about? We're talking about his creation. So that's used in the Bible that way. Uh, the other way would be humanity. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's not talking about that he died for the birds and the trees and uh, the environment. It's obviously he's talking about humanity. And he did die for all of humanity. Uh, but then there's when John says in his writings, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Is he telling you to hate the environment? Um, obviously, no. He's not saying, you know, forget what these tree huggers and oatmeal crunchers are saying. Let's pave the earth, you know. That's not, that's not what he's saying. Um, is he saying, hate, uh, don't love humanity? Obviously, that's clearly contrary to what Jesus taught. So what is he talking about? Well, we know he's talking about what is often referred to as the world system. I like to define it this way. It's it's society with that, that, that is functioning without God. Like we all know that there's a political structure, a government structure, a, a social structure, that they exist just without any kind of recognition of God, His authority, His, His will, um, His way. That's the world. I like to say it, I like to define it this way if you're getting a little more technical. It's anything that is aggressively hostile or passively harmful to God and His cause. Um, so we know that there are some things that are very hostile towards God. I mean, you'll see that on the Internet. People blaspheming, attacking, ridiculing, uh, contradicting. Uh, we'll see that. But there are some things that maybe they're not quite like that, but it might be something innocuous, like, like, like football, for example. I mean, again, I don't think there's anything inherently evil in enjoying that. God's given us creativity and games and things like that, and I, I thank Him for it. Uh, but we do know that some people can make that a God, and that becomes a part of the world to where that, that creates a real problem. So there's a thinking, a mentality of the world, and the Bible says, that, you know, you have to be aware of that. And, and again, I don't want to get too, too far off base here, but I'm even running into that, um, uh, you know, think about it like in, in education. Um, my, my middle daughter, Macy, is attending a Anderson University, and Anderson University is a Southern Baptist school uh, by claim. If, if you go on campus there, you see the influence of the gospel. Um, they say some very, very spiritual and good things, uh, but already in just a couple of weeks of class, she's being, being taught the rudiments of the world. There's, there's no question. She has, has experienced transgender ideology in the classroom, um, CRT in the classroom, um, what I consider very secular educational methods in the classroom. And uh, we, we have to root and ground our kids. We have to. 
uh, because even in places that we feel are Christian, uh, they've got to know what they believe and why they believe it if they're going to, to be able to be what they ought to be in this world. Um, and we have to be on guard because are we going to start developing the ideas and the rudiments of the world ourselves? And some of that comes into um, our, faith, our, our marriages as well. So we're going through some myth busters, right? We're, we're trying to talk about some things that maybe people have started to espouse as true that maybe aren't necessarily true. Uh, so one we talked about and we finished talking about last week was the, the honeymoon will last forever. You know, you fall in love, you say I do, and I'm just telling you it's a fairy tale all the way through. Um, you know, I, I'm not saying that some people won't experience that. I, I remember being at a dinner table with a young man that I've uh, discipled, and um, uh, he, he said to me, you know, Pastor, I've always heard that you said that marriage is, is uh, hard work, and he's like, but I, I just, and it's not been hard work. It's been easy. It's been great. But what I didn't tell him is his wife was behind him going, oh. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, but, and, and look, that's, if, if uh, that's their story, that's awesome. I'm just saying that's, that's not always typical. Um, and I don't mean, when I say marriage is hard work, I'm not saying that, you have, that it's always going to be just hard work to love this person. And I'm not saying that the problems are necessarily going to lie in between you, the two of you. It's just, you know, you might have stress with a child. You might have stress with your finances. You might have stress with your health. You might have, there's things. And I, again, I think marriage is pretty wonderful, um, but mar and marriage will work, but you have to work at it. I mean, again, I think that you do. And back to that young man, I mean, they may be ha just having a great old time in a perpetual honeymoon, but that doesn't happen without effort. It just doesn't. And, and whether they realize it or not, they're, they're making effort. So... Anyway, we talked about all of that. Let me give you the second myth. Let's get into this today. This is a myth. Complicated problems have easy solutions. All right? Complicated problems have easy solutions. That's a myth. Um, let me explain that a little bit and then we'll unpack it. Sometimes complicated problems have simple solutions. Okay? You might be able to say, well, I mean, here's your fix. But just because something is simple doesn't mean it's easy, right? Sometimes our sin nature and our pride and our stubbornness don't allow us to do the, the simple thing. And, it, and therefore, it becomes very difficult for us to do. And I think what I'm also trying to say is when you have a complicated problem, some people, some people want to just snap their fingers and wave their hand and say, all right, problem dismissed. And uh, that's not realistic. Um, I, I, look, I know of a guy, and I understand why he did this. I know of a guy who, who wrote a very small book, and it basically said, you know, how, you know, how to solve your problems. And in the index, it said, you know, what's your, what's your problem? Uh, uh, do you have, uh, you know, I'm trying to think, marriage problems, kid problems, drinking problems, uh, porn problems. And in every chapter, it said the same thing. Number one, go to church on Sunday morning. Number two, go to church on Sunday night. Number three, go to church on Wednesday night. Number four, read your Bible every day. Number five, pray. And then like next chapter, and it said those same five things for every problem. <laughs> I, 
Like, is that part of the solution to every problem you have? I, I would agree. But how many of you have lived life long enough and you are realistic enough to know that's not, like, that's, that you can't just say that, throw that on every problem, and that, that fixes it. You, know, you guys understand what I'm saying? Like, that, that's kind of what we're trying to say about it. Like, like, it becomes trite when you just slap somebody on the back that's having some struggle and say, well, just pray about it, brother. Or, you know, well, I'll tell you what. Just read an extra chapter in your Bible today, and that'll take care of that. You know, I mean, that's just kind of, you know, I'll tell you what you need to do. I know your kid's being an absolute nightmare, but if you just go out there and win somebody to Jesus, that'll take care of it. You know, like, it's, I, I don't know. I think that that rings hollow to somebody whose heart is hurting. And... Um, it, it really rings hollow to somebody whose heart has been hurting for a long time. Now, you might say, well, I thought Jesus was the answer. Well, I think you can make that statement. I think Jesus ultimately is the answer to every problem. But again, I say to you, I think biblical solutions are known for their simplicity, but not necessarily for their ease. That's why we need the grace of God. Uh, 2 Corinthians 11.3 does say, But I fear lest it by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And in some ways, there is great simplicity in Christ. Let's not complicate the gospel. Like, look, we had a testimony that a child got saved. I hope that everybody in this room understands and believes and accepts the idea that children can be saved. And I know that I got saved as a child. I know that. Um, because there's simplicity in Christ. Now, I've, you've heard me say this. I'm going to say it. When I got saved, I was six, almost seven. Okay? And I don't consider myself a genius, so I wasn't some prodigy who my parents were like, this kid, we need to sign him up for Mensa now. It wasn't happening with me. All right? But I got saved. And when I got saved, I did not understand the doctrine of justification. I did not understand the threefold uh, concepts of sanctification. I did not understand ecclesiology and eschatology. I just knew Jesus died on the cross for me. He was buried. He rose from the dead. I didn't want to go to hell. I wanted to have my sins forgiven, and I trusted Jesus to save me. And isn't that what Jesus taught? Suffer the little children to come unto me. Because if you do not become like a child, you, you can't enter into my kingdom. So it's simple. But the older you get, you realize the gospel isn't always easy in this sense. There are somebody, some people that are so proud and so self-righteous and so self-sufficient that they will not yield themselves to Jesus. Okay, so, so again, there is a simplicity that's in Christ now, the problem comes when we confuse the solution of problems with the resolution of problems. So the solution might be easy. The solution might be simple. But the resolution of those problems can be very difficult. And the mess can be very complex. So again, we know that he is the answer. Like everybody in here, I always say this, Jesus is the universal junior church answer. So sometimes I ask you questions in here and you guys, depending on what kind of mood you're in, how much coffee you've had, you're not always like ready to go on that. Uh, but, but if I were to ask you a question you didn't know the answer to in church, you might have a good shot at it if you just say, 
Jesus? <laughs> that might, might, might get you somewhere. But while we know that he is the answer, a lot of times people don't know how to get to him. A lot of times people feel that he's, he's out of reach. And sometimes it's not in people's lives, it's not a matter of what, it's a matter of how. That's why some of us, we have a knowledge about God, but knowing God himself is a little different. Um, I, I was doing some painting yesterday, and I don't, I know some people might like that. I don't like that. Like, that's the last thing I want to do when I'm off. So, but I was doing it. And so I was listening to a bunch of, you know, podcasts, sermons, different things while I was just, you know, doing it. And I was listening to a sermon, and the guy said something that, like, triggered something in, in my mind. And I, I, my mind started wandering. I'm rolling this stupid thing on the wall, you know. And, and I was thinking, you know, I, I love Peter in the Bible. And I, I, I think he's an amazing character. And, and I've learned so much from his life. And I enjoy preaching and teaching about him. But I don't know him. And someday, in glory... I'm going to look forward to sitting down and chatting with him. I want, to, I want to hear some of his stories. I want to hear his vantage point when they cut his roof open and lower that paralytic man down through. I want to hear him talk, talk about that. I want to hear him talk about when he was walking on water and started to sink and felt stupid and everybody's making fun of him. I want to talk, talk to him about that. But I don't know him. I know about him. But I was thinking about that. I, I know a lot about Jesus in the Bible. Like I can answer a lot of questions in Bible trivia and stuff like that. But that's the difference. I was thinking this while I was painting. I know Jesus. Like, I really do. I, I know him. And I hope that doesn't sound weird. But I've talked. To, I've never talked to Peter. I've talked to Jesus. And let me tell you something. If you're saved, you know what I'm talking about. There's something, and we call it the Holy Spirit residing in us. We know when we've made connection. And there's some of us that know. I know him. And I think there are a lot of people, even within Christianity, that know about Jesus, but have never really got to the place where they know him. And that what and that how, there's a disconnect. And sometimes that's a challenge. Um, Isaiah uh, 29, 13 says this, Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. Again, I think there are a lot of, this. I'm thankful for every person in Anderson this morning that made it a priority to get up and go to a gospel preaching church of any kind. Whether I agree with their philosophy or not, they went to a gospel preaching church this morning. But you and I both know that there are going to be hundreds, yea, even thousands of people that congregate this morning and they will say the right things and they will sing songs and they'll, they'll give lip service, but their heart will be far from him. And it's sad that God's people have in many ways become busy-handed. They become full-headed, but they are empty-hearted. And we, we've been there. We, everybody in this room has been in that place at some point. And what, what we learn from the Bible, this choice to remove their hearts from God, it brings a curse. And God would remove, one, part of that curse is that God will remove their wisdom and their understanding. Verse 14 of Isaiah 
says this, Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and wonder, for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. And so this, this runs into the curse of, of what we're talking about with um, this not being able to solve our problems. And so the solution to a complex problem is often simple, but here's what happens. Because of blindness by Satan, wisdom that's been removed by God, the difficult circumstances that are piled on top of us, and then painful emotions, then the resolution becomes very difficult indeed. And, and I want to say this, and I want to say this very clear. Sometimes, even among good people in this room, you need to seek help. Because you can't always solve every problem in-house. Now listen, I've lived long enough and I've got enough experience. I'm not a novice. I'm, I'm not at this point. I mean, the other day I was in a room and people were uh, with, with ministry workers and they were asking me questions and I was thinking to myself, why, why are you asking me? I don't know. And then I looked around the room and I realized I'm the oldest guy in here. Okay? So, so, so again, what I'm trying to say is I've been around long enough to know that a lot of couples... What they try to do is they try and solve all their problems in-house. They don't want people to know what's going on in their life. And I don't know, I think that that's a form of ego and a, a form of pride. And listen, I can say that because let me, let me, let me ask you a question. Let, let me ask you a question right here. And I'm not trying to turn this spotlight on me, but think about pastors. What, what, is, what does a pastor do if he's having serious problems in his marriage? Because you, you, don't, you don't think pastors do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's the answer. But see, that's a simple answer, but not an easy answer, is it? Because I'm up here telling you how to, how to help your marriage. So how am I supposed to do that? You, you, see, what, you see the dilemma? Look, the statistics, the pastors who are embroiled in pornography, pretty, pretty intense. Now how's a pastor go get, you see what I'm saying? And what happens is, we just say things like this, well, I'm just going to solve this in-house. And, th and then we, we get to a place where, hey, things are really, really not good here, and we don't know how to fix this. So, again, I, I, I tell you, some problems are so complex that you, you need a pastor to help you. Um, you need a spiritual friend that, that is allowed to speak truth into your life. You, you need a, may, maybe, maybe it is what, what Ricardo answered there, a, 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 a biblical counselor like, hey, I don't know that I can share this with my pastor. Maybe, maybe there's too much ego or pride or whatever that's going on there. But, but man, you, you've got to do what you've got to do to, to get this fixed. Okay? Um, so, so, uh, we'll move on, but I think sometimes people think, you know, complicated problem, easy fix. And it's not as simple as just reading your Bible and going to church. Now, again, I don't want you to walk out of here and say, well, pastor said we don't have to go to church or read our Bible. Uh, he said that doesn't really make a difference in your life. That's not what I said, right? And I don't care what problem you have, don't stop going to church and don't stop reading your Bible and don't stop praying and don't stop doing all of those things. That is part of the solution, but sometimes it's not as simple as that. And I think you all get what I'm saying. All right, let me give you the third uh, myth here. 
And um, I think we can finish on this about, I got about 10 minutes here. But myth number three is this, um, it's not my fault. Okay, and then look, if you raise children, we can illustrate this very well. I am amazed at every time I've had to conflict, uh, uh, confront my children just about without fail. Well, it's not my fault. They did this. They said that. I wouldn't have if they. Well, I didn't mean it. I can't tell you how many times I've said, I don't care what you meant. This is what you did. All right. You know, because now we're talking law. And, and, and how many understand in the law of the United States of America, they really don't necessarily care what you meant to do. They're dealing with what you did. Right. So, so I, I just can't tell you how many times it's just, well, it wasn't my fault. I mean, that's basically what you hear. It wasn't my fault. Um, I think one of the biggest reasons people seek marriage counseling is to position their mate so that the counselor can change them. I mean, I literally have had people do this. Hey, you need to fix her. You, you need to tell him. I, 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 and I'm like, wait, wait a second. Are there cases, are there cases where it's 100% somebody's fault? There are. Are those cases common? Let me just tell you, they are not. All right, how many of you have ever heard this expression? It takes two to tango, all right? So in, in a lot of ways, there, there's, now again, I understand there's some cases where it's 100% somebody's violation to somebody else. But I, I'm just, the point I'm trying to make is a lot of times people will admit that they shoulder some of the blame, but it's usually very little, all right? So, Let's talk about a couple of things. How about um, unresolved guilt? I want you to imagine in your mind a scale, an old-fashioned scale with guilt and blame. So guilt is on one side. This is my personal responsibility. Blame, somebody else's responsibility on the other side. And, you know, what happens is, like, like if you have guilt and blame here, when you sin, here's what God does. He pushes down on the guilt side. And... None of us like to feel guilt, or, or if you want to use a good Bible word, conviction. None of us like that. It's just not a fun, fun experience. But what happens is, when God pushes down on that guilt side, you can have one of two reactions. You can either, first of all, have a spiritual reaction that confesses the sin. And right, we, we, we've, we probably all come to the place where we understand confession. Confession is saying to God, what he says about your sin. So you, don't, you, you lost your temper. God pushes down on that guilt side. And what you can do is you can have the spiritual reaction that says, you're right. I shouldn't have been mad and I shouldn't have expressed it the way I did. I was wrong. That was not Christ-like. Please forgive me. You say that to God. Then you say that to the person you offended. And we know what God does is he takes that guilt off and you're back in balance. But what we like to do is instead of deal with this, what we like to do is push down on that blame side. That's what we want to do. And then we say things like this. Well, if you wouldn't have, then I wouldn't have lost my temper. 
You just made me so mad that I couldn't help it. What are you doing? You, you're pushing the blame side down. Uh, now that brings balance, makes you feel better, but it doesn't take care of the issue. Okay? And again, the tendency is to blame is often an indication sometimes of guilt. Um, you know, I, is that, I, 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 that whole story where Jesus, they bring the woman caught in adultery, uh, you know, and he's writing in the sand. Do you know that there are some commentators, I never heard this, but I read it in a commentary uh, that I thought was pretty interesting. Some commentators believe, and it's total speculation, that Jesus was writing the names of the adulterous relationships that these Pharisees had had in the sand. And that's why they were like, yeah, see you later. I, I, we don't know that, but that it could have been because he did say, uh, well, let's stone her then. See, I think some people misunderstand that passage. Jesus did say, okay, but we're going to do it according to the law. And then they were kind of like, well, I don't, I don't think we're really into that. Because he must have known some evidence that, hey, we got other cases to deal with here. Now, you know, I, I don't know what was going on there, but I'm just simply saying he that is without sin. Some most people believe when he said that it wasn't just saying, well, we all got sin. So we all, you know, we can't No, what he was saying is he that is without the same sin. Let him cast the first stone. See, we've got to resolve our guilt properly. But what we love to do is say, well, it's not my fault. I have no responsibility in this. Uh, how about this, the depletion of the Holy Spirit? Um, you know, I want to just give you a visual concept. I don't know if you, any in here ever done some canoeing? Any like doing that or kayaking or uh, whitewater rafting? Man, I, I enjoy that kind of stuff as well. Um, but I want you to think, man, you're on a canoe, you're on a river. Uh, so the canoeist is the believer. The water level of that river is the Holy Spirit. And there are boulders in, in, in the, the river, and let's say that those are problems with your mate. Now, if the water level is up, you can go right over those. If the water level is down, you might run into those. And so, again, I, I know there's always a breakdown in an illustration, but I'm just simply saying, like, the Holy Spirit's filling in your life is going to be a real help to you. Think about the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. The fruit, the product, the result of the Holy Spirit working in your life, I really encourage you to memorize Galatians 5.22, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Okay, those nine results are going to be the general tenor of your life when the Holy Spirit's working in you. Now, I want you to think about any problem you've ever had. Those nine characteristics are going to compensate for any problem you've ever had. Thank you. Amen. All right. Sometimes we need more love. Sometimes we need self-control and temperance. Sometimes we need to do the good thing, the right thing. Sometimes we need gentleness. Sometimes we need long-suffering. Remember what long-suffering is? It's not just patience. It's patience while you are actively being provoked. You, you, you don't think that comes into play sometimes in marriage relationships? Yes. So, so again, uh, when the filling of the Holy Spirit is high, nothing seems to bother the believer or it doesn't bother you to a place 
of, of tripping up. I mean, great peace have they which love thy law and nothing shall offend them. And by the way, that doesn't mean that my feelings don't get hurt. It means it's not going to stop me from doing what I'm supposed to do. Uh, they uh, have a tendency to think the best of their mate. And the personality quirks seem insignificant and harmless. When, when, we, when we have the filling of the Holy Spirit, the longer a person is without God, what didn't bother a marriage partner about their mate before now begins to irritate them slightly. And I've seen this. We talked about that last week. You, you know, remember the, the book I told you about? They're on this ship and they're, they're angry and wanting to fist fight over the way somebody ties their shoes. I mean, I've told you this. I remember counseling. This is years ago in another place. And uh, these folks were talking about getting a divorce. And I sat them down and said, and asked the first question, what's the problem? And the first thing out of this lady's mouth, I mean, immediate anger switch. Immediate. She said, our doorbell has been broken for three months and he will not fix it. I thought, that's first on your list. That's where we're going. But you and I both know it wasn't the doorbell, was it? It wasn't the doorbell. It wasn't the doorbell at all. But remember, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, love is the first one, joy is the first one, peace is the next one. You fill with the Holy Spirit and you got that going on, doorbell's not going to... I mean, you might be thinking, I wish you would fix the doorbell. But you know, there's this old thing that happened long before doorbells were ever around. Like you can survive, right? You know, Some of you are thinking, man, my doorbell ain't working three years, you know? <laughs> Okay, and, and your wife's not mad about it. Or maybe she is. She's just filled with the Spirit and hadn't told you. Um, you, you, you know, it's, it's, if, if he loved her, he'd fix the doorbell if he knew it bothered her. If she loved him, she, she'd say, well, I know he's got a lot going on. It's, not, it's a doorbell. It's not that big of a deal, right? You know, it's just, but, but boy, when there's a depletion of the Holy Spirit, these things accumulate and add up. Here's something I, I heard. Let, let's, let, let's let our Sundays touch our Mondays. Here's one. When a believer goes without God for a day, he knows it. When he goes two days, his family knows it. And when he goes three days, the whole world knows it. Now, I don't know if you can formulate that exactly in those days, but I will say this. When you are going without God, you start to know it. And it doesn't take much longer for the people that are closest to you to know, hey, 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 something's off there. And then before too, you let that go long enough, the whole world will know it. We've got to stay filled with the Holy Spirit. All right, I, I know I need to hurry. Uh, as the level of the Holy Spirit diminishes, the problem seems to get bigger. It appears that the whole problem is your mate. And so then you become, I have to change my mate, or I have to remove my mate, or replace my mate. And instead... What the solution really is, is I need to seek the filling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I, I wish, wish I had more time, but I don't. And I would talk more about blaming the past. Um, and, and maybe I'll pick up on that next week. But we, we cannot be the kind of people that blame our past. Do pasts influence us? Sure. But if we're going to sit here and say, well, back when I was 10, blah, blah, like, you, you, I'm sorry. That, that's... That's not right. It's not right. Okay? It needs to be dealt with, and we need to go on. All right? So, so anyway, we'll talk more. we will talk more about that, because I think we need to do that more than just me throwing out a comment there, okay? Um, but anyway, I appreciate it so much. And I know we talked about a little bit more heavier stuff this morning, but, but I'm trying to help you and encourage you in the Lord.